seen how the smallest moment can change an entire world. Good morning and welcome to Crosstown and welcome to our series called C. Uh, before we jump into that, let me just tell you a little bit about our schedule um, here at Crosstown. Uh, we'll be having regular service next Sunday, so we'll have two regular services. Then on Christmas Eve, because a lot of you told us we want, you wanted us to make it a little bit easier for you and your families, we will have three services. So it'll be 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. That way you can bring your family and friends. It will only last an hour. Okay, so if you're talking some 17-year-old guy in to come to church, you know, or some 40-year-old that doesn't want to go to church, just tell him, listen, it doesn't last longer than an hour. And I guarantee you that it will be inspiring, it will be creative, and there will be snow at the end of it. So, I, I mean, so let me just encourage you to just get them to come, two, four, and six, and then on Sunday the 29th, in between the two holidays, we'll have one service at 9.15, just before um, New Year's takes place. So download our app. You can find out more about our schedule, and you can also catch up on this series. This series is a, a really good one. Um, we're looking at the Christmas story, not because to get into the mood for the holiday, um, but really to see. And, and, and I'm, my faith is really personal to me. And I don't mean personal, I don't want anybody talking about it. But it really does drive who I am as an individual. And it really matters to me whether I'm right or wrong about this faith. I'm really concerned about the rightness, the wrongness, the data, everything that's involved in it, and then walking it out. And, and a lot of times we can get into a faith or we can get into an event and we don't really see it. I mean, we can be a part of it, but we don't see it. We hear it over and over again, and we never have that epiphany, you know, that eureka-type moment where we have an aha inside of us, so much so that it changes the direction of what we do. You know, I was at the, the Patriots game last week up in Foxborough, and yes, I know you guys can all get, you know, we lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. There you go. I know you're all Chiefs fans today. Um, so, yeah, it's... It was really an amazing time to be in that stadium. It, it's like the mecca of football. I mean, it is, you know, if you've been paying attention for the last 20 years, you know what New England's all about. And sitting there looking at the six championship banners, need I go on? But it, it's looking at all this stuff. And, and, but in the middle of it, you know, somebody, when I came back, people said, did you see that play where Brady does this? And I'm like, no, I didn't see that play. I was like, well, how can you not see? You're on the sixth row. How could you have not seen that play? Well, because there was just so much going on. I mean, I'm, I'm looking over at, at, at this guy throwing up three rows behind me, and then there's this lady yelling profanities right near me, Susan. <laughs> I mean, it's just like she just figured she could use the F word because she was in Boston, you know? So she was just out there getting crazy, and, and so you get a little distracted. And the Christmas story is very much like that. You've seen it. You can be in the middle of it. You could have something on your front yard that's like a nativity, but still not see what's taking place. And God wants us to see. He wants us to have a, an aha moment. And the, really the big aha is that he wants you to see that he loves you. 
And not, not that just Jesus loves you. Can I kind of even break this out? It's even bigger than Jesus loving you. And it's like, well, what can be bigger than Jesus loving you? God the Father loves you. You know, I mean, that is really big. When this God that I was raised Catholic, then I went to parochial schools and nuns and priests and the whole thing, and, and we learned a lot. We were in the middle of it, but you know what? If you were raised Catholic like me, you might have been in the middle of it, but you didn't see it. Someplace along the line, you didn't see that, that, that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, and, and that's what this story is all about. So I, I love talking about this, and, and that's led me to a, a discovery in my own personal life, and sometimes I love doing, I, I like doing a sermon, and they're kind of fun, and it's really interesting, and, and it's, most of it, it comes out of my inner journey with God, but today is like I'm super hyped about this. Because there's a convergence that takes place in today's message that I really think is going to help us see. So um, I think you really are going to get something out of this. So let me start it this way. And this may seem really intuitive, but when it's said out loud and then when it's like kind of on a screen for you, it, the anatomy of it begins to unfold. And this is the anatomy of seeing. To see... You have to focus, and to focus, you must pick one thing of value on which to focus. Now, I know that we're doing it a trillion times a day as we arise, kind of peruse around the atmosphere that we're in. Like right now, you have made a decision whether to look at me, or you're maybe looking up on the screen, or maybe you've decided that that tree is more attractive to look at right now. It's, it's got pretty colors, and it's, you know, but you are making a decision to see something based upon using a mechanism of focus, and that focus is based upon a prior mechanism called value. You decided one thing was worth looking at other than other things are worth looking at. And so that's how seeing takes place for all of us. And to a degree, our minds are, are built on a platform of kind of hunter-gatherer type of mentality. You know, to hunt, you have to track something. You have to target it, you have to track it, and then, then you throw something at it or you shoot something at it. I don't know if you're working with spears or you're, you're working with arrows or you're using a rifle, but you, you have to go through this process of deciding what it is that you value maybe killing and bringing back and feeding to everyone. There has to be this whole system of targeting and then tracking and, and then the whole throwing takes place. You know, in the gathering, we have to specify what do we want to gather, and then we need to grab a hold of it. We, we, we decide that uh, we're going to throw balls through a hoop, and, and so we've decided what the value of a ball going through a hoop is, and we begin to target, and we focus on that, and we begin to throw at it. We decide that, you know, we put up a big thing, it's big yellow thing, and we have a kicker come out onto the field, and we've determined that the value of this effort will be three points. So the kicker focuses on it, lines it up, and then kicks a field goal. Um, we go to the grocery store. We don't just go to the grocery store. We, we've targeting some things. Now, sometimes you've gone to the grocery store and you haven't targeted something, and we all know what that means. You've got a bag of M&Ms in the, in the cart. You've got, you're eating things that you probably didn't go to get. But you target certain things. 
So you go down a certain aisle, and you know at this aisle, at the end of the aisle, that's where that big refrigerator is, and that's where the milk is. And in that milk, you've already decided that you're a low-fat family. You know, you're going to do the 2% because 2% is going to save your life instead of 5% milk. But so let's decide you've, you've gone so you focused on you're going to get your 2%, but it's not just 2%. You're going to get your GreenWise milk because that's organic, and that too is going to save your life. So you, you have already valued things in your mind before you have even opened up the refrigerator and pulled the milk out and put it into your cart. You didn't just see milk. See, we, we think a lot of things we just see, but no, there's a whole targeting, valuing system that's going on in everything that we see. So we see what we aim at, and we aim at what we value, and we see what we value through a choice and a process of aiming. So I'm gonna, I want to do something. If this is a, a little kind of fun game thing we're going to do. I'm going to say a couple things up front before we do this together. First of all, if you've ever done it before, I need you just not to say anything, okay? I know you're going to have the urge to, to you know, nudge somebody, laugh at somebody, um, say somebody, lean over, I've already seen this before. If I could just ask you to just kind of hold back and not do that. Um, but we're going to watch something together. Now, let me just tell you what the task is going to be. I'm going to ask you to count the number of times the people in the white shirts pass the ball. I don't care how they pass it. I don't care if they bounce past it. I don't care if they throw it, you know, pass it that way. Um, but I want you to count just how many times the people in the white shirts, and, and I want you to do this completely quietly, no emotional response or anything, and I want you to come up with the exact number, and there is an exact number, and I wanna see who can get the exact number. Let's watch together. All right, okay, let's come up with some numbers now of what took place. Okay, how many of you saw 14 passes? 14 passes, anybody? No, four, got a couple 14s, okay, good. If you're a good person. Um, anybody have 15 passes? Anybody see? Okay, yeah, we got a larger number. Well, it's Brady, he's gotta be right. So, I mean, let's see. Um, how many of you saw 16 passes of the ball? Okay, all right, it is 16. Give yourself a hand. Yeah, yes, it was 16 passes. Now, how many of you saw the gorilla? Okay. The national average is half of us will have seen the gorilla. That in that video, there was a gorilla that walked through the middle of it, and some of us saw it and some of us didn't see it. Now, this was a, an illustration that was done by cognitive psychologist Daniel Simmons. And he was investigating what was called, or what is called, sustained inattentional blindness. Um, and it's this idea that we, we only really perceive what we focus on. That when we decide that something's of value, we will focus on that thing of value and we will make a trade-off that we may not see the other things that are taking place around, here, around us. His findings suggest that we perceive and remember only those objects and details that receive focused attention. 
So if you were focusing on winning the game, and a lot of you were here, you're like, oh, there's a ball involved. You know, I could still, I still got game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to count how many balls. It is very possible that you locked in on counting so much that you didn't see any, any uh, gorilla walk through the process. But maybe you were here and you were like focused on the joy of seeing the gorilla. And you were just so excited because <laughs> my dumb husband doesn't see the gorilla. And yeah, but I see the gorilla. And I, you got so excited about it. But you know, maybe in the middle of seeing the gorilla, you missed the fact that one of the players actually walked off the court. That somebody just walked off. And maybe you didn't even notice that that person just disappeared. And maybe if you prided yourself on seeing all that, maybe you missed the fact that the whole stage, when the video started, was red, and at the end of the video, it was gold. And you didn't notice that the whole thing had changed. And you're like, yeah, you're punking me. That's not really what happened. Well, here's, here's what took place. Notice the red, notice oh, the player just walked off, the gorilla comes in. And now the whole set has turned to gold. Now there's very few people that would have gotten 16, gotten the answer 16, seen the gorilla, seen the player walk off, and also noticed that the whole thing had changed. The whole thing changed. Here's an interesting thing. Very little of our vision is high resolution. I wasn't aware of that. I always thought, you know, the human eye, we're just, you know, we've got this incredible eye and, and, it, and we see everything in high def. Uh, but only the central part of the retina has that ability. Um, it's called the fovea. And there's a group of cells, and they're, they're very limited in number, but in the fovea, in the center area of the retina, there's this little area that that's where you see high def. That's the area that you control when you focus. When you want to lock down on something and you want to see that object, when you value that thing, that is what you're controlling. Now, the interesting thing is the rest of our eye, uh, a peripheral vision, is very low resolution. We're not seeing over here with the same high-def capability that we see with the fovea. So we may notice things over here, maybe because of contrast or maybe because of movement, but we may not, by in our peripheral vision, come up with numbers, how many, many birds are sitting in the tree and flew off and how many remain. We may not be able to distinguish between colors or, or, or other changes that take place. But the area of our fovea, once we lock down our fovea on something, that's the thing that gets our high-def attention. But we need to be aware of that everything else that we're focusing on now goes to low res and our ability to, to kind of collect data in that area diminishes greatly. So you can see how this would affect you um, perceiving the world, not only uh, physiologically, but psychologically. And I would even dare say that it would begin to affect how you see, see things theologically. See, if, if you focus on, it's, we do this with car, you buy a new car, or you're thinking about a new car, 
But let's say you bought a new car and you got yourself a, a, a new uh, uh, Telluride by Kia. And it's really a cool SUV, really tough looking thing. And, and you're like, man, I got this car and I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody driving it. And then all of a sudden you get a Telluride and you're like, oh my word, everybody's copying me in buying Tellurides. But that's not the issue. The number of Tellurides didn't change. It's just that now you're focused on Tellurides. And you're beginning to see with that mindset. And you're beginning to notice that there are other people wearing this, uh, driving the same car or wearing the same dress or the same outfit. But also, we focus on things like in the world, like on suffering or evil in the world. And so a lot of us, since we lock our, not only the fovea of our eyes, but the fovea of our, our value system, we, since for some reason, pain or evil or sorrow or anxiety or disappointment becomes the value of our heart, then we begin only seeing bad things happen in the world. And then we come up with a conclusion, well, if God is so good, how come there's so much evil in the world? You know, so we focus on that, and we, we won't see good moments because we're locked down on, we see what we focus on, which is predicated based upon the bias of our value system. I see what I value. You know, I, I tell you, every guy here knows this. There is, there is not a better swivel system ever created in the world than the neck of a man. Oh, I tell you what, when a man values seeing a good-looking woman, this thing, there's no oil in there, there's no universal joint in there. I mean, this thing works amazing. I could be walking around with a bad back, you know, give me an injection, doc, and all of a sudden a good-looking woman goes by, bam, and it's like, dang, dude, your back seems to be, you healed. It's like, no, my value system determines how well my head swivels. And, and what we value will determine what we see. So if we focus on pleasure in our lives, if we focus on us in our lives, we will see opportunities for pleasure and we will be inattentive to the suffering of others. We won't even see them because we just value the next party, what the next pleasure in our lives. So this happens in the Christmas story, not only for the people that we're going to look at in the story, but also it, it happens with us as we look at the Christmas story. There are two different men in the story who are seeing, but their focus follows their value. Their focus is going to follow what they value. But here's the interesting thing. They, the Magi traveled to Bethlehem because they're following the star. Now, we're having an astronomical event that's not hidden from anybody. Everybody is seeing this event take place. Now, um, the Magi follow it all the way, and we got two men. We have Joseph, who is in Bethlehem, and he is aware of the star. He has seen the star. But we have another man, also in Jerusalem, who is aware of the star and has seen the star, and his name is Herod. Two men seeing the same phenomenon that is taking place over their heads. Yet both are going to respond differently to the event. Joseph looks at the event and receives insight that inspires him to follow God's plan. 
He's been getting insight from an angel here and a dream over here and the occurrence of the star. And in despite the hardships of what all this is telling him to do, to take, you know, to, to uh, this inconvenient pregnancy, this travel from their hometown to, to Bethlehem, then as a result of that, that travel that they have to go to Egypt to save the life of the child from somebody who's going to try to kill the child. And it's like, why is this guy doing this? Why is this guy responding to the star this way? It's because his bias is that he values the providence of God. He values the plan of God. That's how he looks at the world. That is his fovea. That is the, the, centri- the center of his value system is, I want to see God doing things, and I want to be a part of that. Now, I know providence is a big word, but it, it really just means, it, it, it's just telling us that God is, is governing the, the world around us according to his wisdom and his love and according to his plan, and it's not just happening. This is not just some fatalistic world around us, but rather that God's actually directing the the history of mankind and he's involved in the lives of people. It, It asserts that God is in complete control. So when Joseph has an angel tell him that you need to marry this woman, but she's with child, he's like, okay, I, I see it. And you wonder, how do you see this? How does a woman get pregnant without having sex? How does a virgin have a child? He's like, that. I'm not looking for scientific answers. That's not my value system at this point. My value is I want to be a part of providence. I want to be a part of what God's doing. I see it. Okay, God, you, this is you. All right, we'll do it. Then the next time is, yeah, you need to get them all up. Now you're settled in Bethlehem. Get out of town because somebody wants to kill the child. And it's like, well, how many times would you have to be talked into that? You wouldn't have to be talked into it if providence is your value. Man, that's what God told me to do. That's what God's doing. I'm going to go do it. But... Herod is seeing the exact same star. See, here's the thing. If you're sitting here and you're waiting for empirical data to prove the existence of God, what you're going to find out is that what you see is going to be determined by the bias of your heart. Okay? Well, if you just show me if God, if God were to do this, or if God was to do that, or if, if he'll strike that tree with lightning, then I'll believe. You know, we're going to find out that if you don't value, if you don't have a bias to believe in God or to want to know God, it doesn't matter if I stick a star in the sky that your value is just not going to allow you to see it. No matter how good the data is, how good the math is, how good the astrophysics is, it won't matter what kind of evidence you pull out of the ground in archaeology. If we find the cross of Christ itself in Jerusalem or in, in, in Israel, and you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like it won't matter. And Herod is, is living proof of that. He talks to the exact same magi that visited Joseph. Same guys. Same mathematicians, same science. You know, okay, so, you know, he's got the exact same science that that Joseph had. Herod inquires of the exact same scriptures. See, Herod 
It's like, okay, there's something going on here. Um, so I'll call all the wise men together, and they gather together, and they open up the book, and they start flipping through, and they say, yes, this was foretold to us by the prophets that in, in you, Bethlehem, there will be born a Savior from the seed of David. And, and, and he's, he had the same, he still, he had the same theology. And then he knows the same response that you provoke. He knows the meaning of this, of this moment. You know, theologically, he knows. Let me, let me read it to you out of Matthew 2, verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had, had appeared. You know, all the mathematics is laid out for him. All the uh, astronomy is laid out. Astrophysics, it's all laid out before him. Reputable source of empirical data right there. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. See, he even knows what this all adds up to. And, but he, he, he doesn't see it. And I think it's got something to do with the very last line, that I too may come and worship him. Because... See, worshiping is a bending of the knee, and it's this idea of valuation. That's what worship is. I mean, it can be songs. It can be, uh, it can be um, uh, something that we venerate. It can be an act that we perform. But worship is a value. It, it, it's, it's a predisposition. It's a bias of the heart. And he goes, I know that if I get all my empirical data together and if I get all my science together and if I get all my scripture together and if I understand what's going on here together, oh, that will make me bow my knee. No. The bowing of your knee is, is the phobia of your will. You know, whether you see it or not will be determined uh, not based upon the data, but will be determined whether or not your heart really is willing to bend the knee to the providence of God. See, Herod sees it. He sees the passes going back and forth, but he doesn't see the gorilla. In the middle of it, he does not see the gorilla. His focus is on three things he values, and I kind of picked these out because they're kind of things that I value as an individual. Um, his position, his protection, and his profit. That's really what he's focused on. I don't want to give up my position. I don't want to share it. I want to be the CEO. I want to be in charge. I, I want to protect myself. I don't want you controlling me. I don't want you hurting me. I want to profit. I want to make money off of this. I want to be comfortable. I don't want anybody taking any of that away from me. And for him, he's seeing all the same data, seeing all the same events, but yet, what is he seeing? He's seeing only what he values. And that is something that needs to be dealt with because he doesn't want to bow his knee. Herod only values what promotes Herod. Now, let, let's just stop there for a second and give Herod a break. Let me breathe for a second, because I, this, I just love this message. Um, and let's just put you in there. Let's put me in there. We, are we only seeing what we value that promotes us? What's going what's to make me better? What's, what's going to make me happy? What's, what, what's, 
Am I only going to see what promotes me? I'm going to hang out with the people that are going to advance me. I'm going to go and I'm going to go take this job because I'll make more money at it. I'm going to do this or that and I choose my friends or I, I choose the pretty girl or the handsome man or the, the wealthy guy or I hang out with a certain crowd because they will advance me or they will promote me or it will profit me. I mean, do you make your decisions? Do you look at people based upon whether or not they value uh, they will add profit to you or not. That's a really serious thing. Do you look at the world only in a way that will promote you? As a result, Herod responds differently than Joseph. I cannot say it enough. It's not that we got bad data about God. We are literally in a renaissance of empirical data, scientifically and archaeologically, about the existence of God. You could not be alive in a time more than in the history of humanity where science, archaeology, and history have lined up like in a renaissance that God exists. And we are in a country that now believes less. Why? Because we're only looking at what promotes me. You know? I don't care what science says about my biology. I don't care what archaeology says. I don't care what history says. I'm just concerned about seeing the things that make me happy about me. That's where we are. We're not smarter. We're postmodern. I mean... I'm, I don't mean, I'm in part of this culture. We're stupider. And I know that's not the right word. Um, but just to emphasize the point, we're not smarter than we were 50 years ago. Okay? We, we are, our value changed. You being the best version of you is the American value. Providence? Screw providence. I... I want to be the best version of me, and if I can squeeze God in behind me, that will be fine. I know that was really harsh, but I'm, I'm there too. You know, when, when things don't go well for me, matter of fact, when I was, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is an honest truth, somebody saluted me for candor, here's candor. I looked at the, uh, my watch, it was uh, almost 11 o'clock, I'm like, oh gosh, we got like three babies in the nursery, there's nobody here. And I was back in the prayer room, and it's like, oh, God, there's nobody here. I suck. I can't believe there's nobody here. You know, I'm, I'm back there, and it's like, and God just says to me, do you see people to make yourself feel better? Is that what you see? So if there's more people in the crowd, you use people, you see people to make your value system of yourself better? And I'm like, ugh. Maybe, <laughs> sorta. And then, but see, immediately when I, I knew the formula, I'm like, you're right. And I'm like, well, no, God, I really want everybody. And I prayed, I said, God, I really want them to see you. And then it was like, I don't care how many people are here. Because if one person can see God, that will be amazing to me. I mean, I'll be like, dang, I was a part of that. But it's interesting, we, we all do it. It's something that we all go in, and as a result, Herod sees differently than Joseph, Matthew 6, 2, 16. And then Herod became furious, 
and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Well, how could he do that? How could he do that? I don't know. How could Hitler kill six million Jews? How could Stalin kill millions? How can we do what we do in America? Who would do such a thing? I don't think we started out to do that. But I think what we started to value changed, so what we saw was different. And maybe we didn't notice Auschwitz. Maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't want to see because of how it would affect our economy or our sex life or how whether or not I have to forgive my wife or you have to forgive your husband or whether or not you have to get along with your coworker or whether you have to do this. Bow to the providence of God whether you agree with it or not. So let's give Herod a break. Yes, he killed a bunch of children, but we're stepping all over all kinds of empirical data. Why? Because we're so enlightened and scientific. You know, here's the thing. People will say that they're skeptical. I get skeptical. That means you don't have enough data yet and you're kind of worried. But people who call themselves a skeptic, there's no hope for them. And you say, why? A skeptic is somebody who says, I value not seeing. I have a value system of not putting it all together. I will, I will not believe anything. I, will, I don't believe you can know anything for sure. Well, then I will tell you, you will only see uncertain things about the universe around you. You will only see fatalism in the world around you because you've predetermined that you don't believe you can know or believe anything. We need to realize that what we see is what we value. Some of us only see evil. Um, some of us only see what gives us pleasure. Some of us only see what affirms us. Some of us only see um, hatred. Why? Because I think some of us, we value our anger. Some of us value our victimization. Some of us value our addiction. Some of us have actually grown to value our pain. I mean, put it in the center of our, our, our psychological phobia. We, I mean, it's like, no, no, I'm angry with her, and I'm not going to forgive her. So all you see is resentment. You know, and, and, and Jesus begins to talk about this, and, I'm, and, and um, he says it this way. In Luke 11, he says, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body, and when your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Now, obviously, Jesus is using metaphorical language here, but he's making a direct connection about the effects of the, the value of the heart on what we see in the world. And then when, if, if all we see is evil in the world, then guess what you're filled with? Anxiety, fear, doubt. You're terrified of some event that's going to happen into your life, some illness that you're going to get. Why? Because you actually value it. And so everybody's getting cancer. 
Everybody's getting wiped out by floods. Everybody's, you know, getting in automobile accidents. Everybody's going through divorce. No, they're not. But that's all you see. That's the car you're driving around, and that's all the other cars that you see. And it begins to darken your heart. You know, with my back injury, I have to be very cautious about some of the things that I do, and I've modified my schedule greatly. Um, and I was talking to Stacy the other day about, you know, it really has kind of gotten into me because I'm afraid that if I hurt my back, I'll, you know, could be paralyzed, whatever. And, you know, I've got some value system inside of my mind that I'm thinking about could happen. So I walk downstairs holding the rails very slowly, you know, and I look for puddles and make sure that I've got good squeaky shoes on so I don't slip. And, and so I've got it in my mind that if I fall one time, I'm going to be paralyzed. So I see the whole world as an opportunity to become paralyzed. If he hits me on the back too much, if I fall down the stadium stairs, that will be it. You know, so, so, the, so that's all you see is a potential injury taking place. So yesterday we were putting up Christmas lights. And, you know, it's the one thing that trumps all that for me is, is having a really good Christmas display in the backyard. So I got up on the ladder I have a swing, and I built this thing about, it's about, you know, 15, 20 feet in the air that holds the swing, and everybody can swing on it. But I want to put a wreath on the top of it. So I, I got up on the ladder, and I got up on that step. You know it says, this is not a step? I didn't see that. Even though I read it, I didn't value it. Come on, you know? So I got up on that thing. So Susan's helping me. Um, we've got this wreath, I, probably way too heavy, and it's giant wreath, pulling it up. And so I'm up about, really about 18, 20 feet in the air, and all of a sudden, the swing swings, hits the ladder. The ladder flies out from underneath. I am all of a sudden grabbed the top of this object that I'm on. My, my clothes get caught to a nail sticking out. So now I got this nail up against my chest. I'm holding myself up here, and, and, and it's like, oh my gosh. It's like, I'm going to be paralyzed. You know, I'm going to fall, and, and, and so Susan's like yelling, and I'm, I'm holding on, and, and you know, it's not like in Die Hard. You can't hold on to the edge of a skyscraper and then pull yourself up with one hand. That's TV. You know, I'm holding on, my arms are trembling, and I'm like, this is it, this. And all of a sudden, she gets the ladder, finally puts it up, and I'm able to step on the ladder and finish putting the thing up. And, you know, I came out of it, and I realized, it's like, huh, I just held myself up there for a pretty long time. Maybe my back's not so fragile after all. But you know what? You get some idea in your head, and it will change the way you see the rest of the world. Some of you white folks are scared of black people. Some of you black people are scared of white people. You got it in your side of your soul, inside of your head, that you know you just can't trust. Some place it got inside of you. Some of us, we're afraid of everything. We're anxious for everything. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it's your value system. It's like, I don't value it, I just have a lot of anxiety. No, you value anxiety. I know anxiety. I mean, I deal with it all the time. I deal with depression all the time. I deal with pain all the time. When I value it, it gets worse. When I move it into the low-res area and focus on something good, it's amazing how my back just doesn't seem, it's not fixed, but it just doesn't seem to be as debilitating. 
You know, and it's like, wow, what, what is it? It is because you see what you value. But the Apostle Paul challenged us about our C-focused value equation of our hearts. He said this, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. He's not saying that we're not concerned about promotion. I'm concerned about promotion. He's not saying you can't be concerned about profit. You know, I'm sure Joseph was interested in profit as a carpenter. Doesn't say that we're not interested in protecting ourselves from the things that can go wrong in life. But the Apostle Paul says, but as you look at the world, I need you to first focus your value on the providence of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. When it says things, it doesn't mean stuff like furniture in heaven or gold streets or mansions or cherubim and, you know, little chubby angels sitting on clouds. That's not what he's talked about. We, we haven't been given a lot of information about the furniture of heaven. But when he's talking about set your mind on things of heaven, he's referring to the idea of focus first on what God is doing and then focus on position, then focus on profit, then focus on the things that you want to protect in your life. But if you get anything right first, you've got to value the providence and the purpose of God. You, you could be here and you're, you're saying, I, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, I will, I will tell you this, is that if you will align yourself with Jesus, you will all of a sudden see Jesus everywhere. I'm not saying that we're kind of conning our mind in the existence of something that's not really there. No, you'll begin to look at events that take place in your life. You might have called them improbabilities. You might have called them coincidences. But you will begin to see the signature of God in your life. But you'll never see it if your heart is not open to a valuing of knowing God. If it's just about, I need more data, I need more data, and that's why I tell people when they meet with me, I will meet with any of you. And I am only boasting in Christ on this. I am only boasting in Christ on this. I guarantee you, only because of what God has qualified in my life, there isn't a one of you in this auditorium that will have an argument that involves science, history, philosophy that I will not have a greater argument in response to. Okay, I'm not, you say you're being cocky. No, I know who I am in the kingdom of God. I know the providence of God in my life and I know what he's equipped me to do. If you want to know the answers to the questions, I've got data, but I'm gonna ask you this. That if you want to get together and we'll have a cup of coffee and we'll have, is that if I provide the data, that you would be willing to do this. But if you're not interested in bowing your knee, then there's no amount of empirical data anybody could ever show you that will change your mind. Your mind already has what it wants and what it values. So today, as we enter into this moment of expressions.
This is not just a time where we play another song or we hand out bread and, and dip it into a cup. This is a time where we decide that we value providence. We value the plan of God. You may walk up here today and your back may hurt. You may walk up here today and you may have cancer in your body. You may walk up here today and you have a marriage that is falling apart or you may be financially ruined. But today, when you get up and you come and you receive that bread, you're making a declaration that regardless of what I see in the world around me, what I value, what I see before anything else is I see God. I see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that for some of us, we need to have our value system kind of raised from the dead. Or let me put it a different way. We needed our fovea to be born again. And maybe this is a moment where you decide, okay, I'm just hiding behind skepticism. I'm just hiding behind my pain. I'm just hiding behind my disappointment. I'm using my anger and my victimization, though they're real and they're important, I'm really using it as an excuse to keep me from seeing because I'll have to bow my knee if I do. So let me encourage you in this God moment, just ask God to birth within you a new heart and a new spirit. I don't know how it all works, but all I know is that once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found and I see God everywhere. Father, as we enter into this moment, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts, that it may change our eyes, that we may see Emmanuel, God with us. So let me invite you at this time, not only into a song, not only into a sacrament, not only into a tradition, but into a moment of seeing.